believe today the King is coming. I can't wait until we experience the next manifestation of the coming of King Jesus. You know, it's not the first time that He came. He came Christmas. We celebrate that birth when He came in a manger, that lowly manger, not at all like we expected a king to come, but that's how He chose to come. And then on Palm Sunday so many years ago, He came again and was introduced to the world as the Messiah. And we know again that He is the King. And then, later on, when they hung him on the cross at Calvary, they attached a sign to the top of that cross that said, King of the Jews. That's what they thought he was, and they thought that was what the limitation was. But then three days later, he came out of that tomb, and he ascended into the heavenlies later on, And he was declared to have all authority both in heaven and earth. He is the king of kings. Amen. And guess what? He's coming again. I don't know when and I don't know what it really will look like other than what scripture tells us. But church, (coughs) I'm so glad to know that in the midst of this world that we live in, that we have hope for the future Because Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is going to come again. The King is coming. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to read from the CSB as I've been doing this year. And we're going to study this passage of Scripture today. Palm Sunday is a wonderful day because it really marks the beginning of Holy Week. It begins what we would know as a process that ultimately would lead Jesus to the cross at Calvary. This week as you're going about your business, I want you to be fully aware of all that Jesus went through for you and for me during this week. We get here next Sunday, we're not going to be talking about how that he went through all the difficult things. What we're going to celebrate next Sunday is the fact that he got up out of that grave and rose again. And because he was resurrected, we have the hope for resurrection as well. But this is Holy Week. It's a week that many, many things were happening. So read along with me, if you will, beginning Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. It says, And when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, uh, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. 
a very large crowd spread their clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And then Jesus went to the temple and threw out all of those who were buying and selling. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonders that he did, and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were indignant and said to him, Do you hear these children, what these children are saying? And Jesus replied, Yes. Have you never read? You have prepared a place of praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. And then he left them, and he went out to the city of Bethany and spent the night there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and the reading of your word this morning. I pray that you will anoint me to preach and to uh, properly expound what you have placed upon my heart today to bring to this congregation. May we receive it. May we believe it with all of our heart because it is your word. And may we respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. How many of you know that Jesus always knows what to do and how to do it when the time is right? He never is at a loss for what to do. And it is true that on this occasion, the stage was set. The curtain rises, as it will, as Jesus is beginning to open the last act in the drama that would take him through Holy Week and ultimately to a cross. It has been said by historians that perhaps two and a half million people were there on that road in that city during that time because it was Passover. They had come there to celebrate Passover. They had taken their garments off and they were laying their coats upon the road in preparation of the arrival of the king. They had torn branches off of the trees and laid them upon the pathway where Jesus would soon appear. And they began to shout out, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the king. Now it was no accident that it was happening this way because Jesus knew what he was doing in advance. 
He had planned every bit of this. The first a sign of his planning is, is when he took his two disciples and said, I want you to go and find the donkey that I have arranged to be brought here. And they went and got the donkey and brought it to Jesus. That is how he decided to enter into the city, riding on a donkey. Why do you think that Jesus would make such a decision as that? Because it was the fulfillment of prophecy that was given in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 when the prophet Zechariah told us that that is exactly how we, he would arrive. And then to confirm it, the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 62 and verse 11 the exact same thing. This is how he would arrive. And then to confirm that prophecy had in fact come to pass, Matthew said in chapter 21 and verse 5, he said, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So what Jesus was doing on that day was exactly what had been prophesied so many years before. He knew what the Word said. He knew what the prophets had declared. And he stuck to the plan that God had given through these prophecies. He knew exactly what he was doing. And basically what he was announcing to the people there is, Your King is coming. Aren't you glad that the king came today? That he arrived just as the word declares that he would. I want us to talk about this king today for a little bit. And let's get some information about Jesus as king. The first thing that I would like to share with you is that your king is a contrasting king. Now a contrast is the opposite of something. You have one thing to look at, and then you have another thing to look at that is different than what you originally were looking at. And so when Jesus came, he was a contrast of the kings that the people would have been familiar with at that time. Now, we Americans, we're not good at knowing about royal families and what it is to live under a king and under a monarchy. Our governmental system is very different than, for instance, Britain. We're only able to know what it would be like based on the history and based on what we see on the news. We're not familiar with it. We occasionally will catch a coronation on the news media. Recently, the queen passed away and the king was brought into power. And there have been all kinds of, of, of different ceremonies and coronations that we see on television, but we really don't know how to live in an environment like that. Many of you would remember years ago when the King Charles, King Charles, he wasn't king at the time, but Charles married Diana. How many of you remember that? And the beautiful coronation and wedding and her dress and how it was talked about for weeks and months and even years on end. She was a beautiful bride and all the world saw it and were amazed by the beauty of it. And of course, she passed away and ultimately Charles married again to Camilla. 
And it's a very different situation with them. She's more laid back. She's more quiet. You didn't see the same kind of pageantry with that wedding as you did with the first one. And now we occasionally hear about some of the family. For instance, there is Prince William and Kate. And we hear about them from time to time. We see pictures of them on television and in the newspapers. We know about their children and what their names are and, and how they operate on a day-to-day basis. And then the one that I like to follow is the fun one. It's Harry and Meghan Markle. I mean, they're always in some kind of mess, aren't they? They're always in some kind of deal and some kind of drama. And we Americans, we're just glued to the television screen so that we can see what's the next thing they're going to say and the next thing that they're going to do. It's an overwhelming sense of power when we look at the monarchy as they live their lives in front of the people. It's almost as if there is a majestic aura around them as as they live out their lives and it surrounds the presence of the royal family there's a power there 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 is a there, there there is a glow there if you will an aura of that particular family and they were used to these kinds of things in Jesus's day because Kings would come and kings would go. They would walk in and they would, they would establish their name and they would establish their power. They would set the stage, if you will, these human kings. In fact, when they would come into power, most of these kings would come determined to rule. They would set their heavy fists down so that people would know that they did not come to play games, but they came to rule the area by their power. But when Jesus came, he didn't come to rule with a heavy hand. He came to be a lowly servant of the people and to do and perform his tasks in such a way that it would be a blessing to his people. Most of the monarchs would spend time building their egos. If if they lived in today's society, they would have their photographers go with them. They they would have their press agents to get the word out about how great and how mighty they are. But when Jesus came, he came with humility. He wasn't interested in people taking his picture and tracking him down and talking in this moment about how great he was. He just wanted to serve uh, in humility. Most of these kings would ride into town with a white stallion and all of their bedecking of royalty so that when people came into town, they would be amazed at the visual that was before them of these kings that were coming in and establishing their kingdoms. But when Jesus came into town, he just had a little donkey that he was riding on. He wasn't dressed as the other royal figures would would be dressed he just came into town exactly as the prophet said they would come in with their white stallions and in these days today the presidents arrive in their Boeing 747s and their big airplanes and the news media is standing out on the airport tarmac and they're taking pictures uh, so that everybody can know that the president has arrived the king has 
has arrived. But Jesus, he just kind of tiptoed through the tulips into the city, announcing that he was there on a lowly donkey. But listen, don't you doubt for one minute that he was guessing about what he needed to be doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what the prophets had said. And he had drawn it up in such a way that people would know that this king is different. He is not like the other kings. He is not like the other royalty. He is not like all the others that had come before him. He's different in every way. And I don't know how you take that today, but I'm telling you, we needed a king who would come who was different than anyone else to do only what he could do. So he was a contrasting king. Secondly, I want you to see that he was a confident king. And I don't mean arrogant. I don't mean that he had the big head. I just mean that he knew what he knew and how it needed to come down. And he was confident. He knew that by the end of the week, he was going to be a dead king, if you will, hanging on a cross, having paid the price for sin for all humanity. He knew it, and he was confident. And there was only one time in the garden when he said to his father, if there be any other way that we can do this, let this cup pass from me. But the confidence and the faith of our Savior went on to say, but if not, I will submit to your will and do exactly what must be done. He is a confident king. He knew precisely who he was. He knew that he was the Messiah. There was no doubting this. He knew that from the foundations of the earth, he had been selected to be the Savior of the world, and he was confident in his calling. He was dressed for the occasion. He had prepared himself for the kind of entrance uh, that needed to be for the Messiah. He forced the issue, if I can say it that way, because there would have been others around him who would have said, Oh, Jesus, you don't need to come in like that. You don't need to come in showing yourself weak and humble. You don't need to come in on a donkey you don't need to come in that way. You need to come in with power and authority. But I just believe probably Jesus spoke to them and said, you're going to have to be patient. Ultimately, I will have my authority. And ultimately, I will have my power. But this is not the time for it. I must submit myself to the prophets and what they spoke. And he did so. He forced the issue that day, and came in as a humble servant. But on the day when he came, he had all of the symbols and all of the dress and all of the mentality of the prophets when he came before the people. And he declared in no uncertain terms, by his posture, by his look, by his arrival, that I am the king. I may not be the king that you're looking for. I may not be what you're expecting. But you can trust me when I tell you that I am 
the king. Aren't you glad that we serve the king today? Aren't you glad that this king who introduced himself so many years ago is still our king today? He knows exactly who he is. You know what he was trying to do that day? He was trying to upset the religious people. He came in in such a way that would just irritate the hound out of them. They, they were accustomed to doing their religious stuff in their religious ways. They were over at the temple and they were selling doves and selling things that could be sacrificed. And he was tired of it and sick of it. And not only did he ride in in a way that they surely did not expect, but when he made his way over to the temple, the scripture says that he went in there and he turned the tables upside down and he said, my house is to be a house of prayer and yet you have made it into a den of thieves. He knew exactly what needed to be said. He knew exactly what needed to be done. He knew exactly how he needed to perform in that moment. Thirdly, I want you to see that Jesus is a compassionate king. Do you know what he did after he got into town and after he had been introduced to the people as the Messiah? The scripture tells us that he wept, he cried, he looked at his people and he looked at that community and his emotional response to that was to weep over them and to cry over their sin. Look at what Matthew chapter 23 and verse 37 says. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus wept over them because of their refusal to receive him and accept him for who he was. Have you ever wondered if Jesus is still weeping today? I, I believe he is weeping over his people. I believe that he is weeping with compassion. When he sees his people suffering, he weeps over us. He knows, in fact, the scripture tells us that he is collecting every tear that we will cry upon the face of this earth. He doesn't waste any of our tears, but he collects every one of them. And it will be revealed to us one of these days the number of tears that we cry that caught his attention and that he collected and gathered while we were walking this journey out. He wept. But on this occasion, he was weeping because people were not receiving him. People were taking the information that had been spoken by the prophets and they were refusing to hear it. They were refusing to listen to it. They were refusing to accept this Messiah that was introducing himself to the world. And I think about our church and other churches in this world today. And I think sometimes that Jesus is still weeping. I think he's still weeping when our churches have become nothing more than social clubs. I think he weeps when he sees churches that they raise up their pastors as though they are some kind of celebrity and that they're the end all to everything. 
I think he cries and weeps when our concern is more about the kind of music that we sing or the kind of programming that we have instead of lifting up the name of Jesus so that others can see and know that he is the one who died for their sins. Listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong for us to get together and eat beans and cornbread. Praise God. Let's do it this afternoon. I'm with you. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a nice children's program and youth program. I'm not saying it's wrong to have buildings where we can come together. But what I am saying is, is that we must always remember that the most important thing is not the celebrity of our pastor, not the quality of our praise and worship, not the programming that we have, but the most important thing is that we are giving Jesus his rightful place in the church and in our lives. He wept. He wept when he had to heal broken bodies. In this next week, after he was anointed and announced as the Messiah, the Scripture tells us that people came from everywhere just to get in his presence. That they came sick and lame and deaf and mute. People who were struggling to make it through life. They found out that the Messiah was there. And they came to him. And they came from every direction. And the scripture tells us that he took the time during that week. He's getting ready to go to Calvary. He's getting ready to lay down his life. He's getting ready to pay the supreme sacrifice. But Jesus took time out of his busy busy schedule to heal the broken. To encourage those who were discouraged. To help them rise to a place of victory rather than remain in the frustration of their life. Let me tell you something today. There's nobody who loves you like Jesus does. You ought to be grateful for that. I'm your pastor and I love you. Your pastor's wife loves you. We pray for you. We're concerned when you're concerned. We lift you up in prayer. We do our best to edify you. Your family loves you. Your husband loves you. Your wife loves you. Your children love you. Your family loves you. You are loved. But of all the people that love you, and you can feel it and sense it and experience it, I want you to know today that there's nobody who can love you like Jesus loves you. There's nobody who can do for you what Jesus did for you as Savior and as King. And when you think you can't make it another step, when you think you can't make it another moment, I want you to know that you can do all things through Christ who will strengthen you. When you are weak, He will rise up and be strong and He will allow you to be victorious. That's the King that came to us. He came to the simple people. He came to the people with broken bodies. He came to the people with shattered dreams. He came to the people with bruised spirits. He came to the people who hurt in their soul so deeply that they feel it every day, all day long. He came for you. And he did it then, and he still does it now. He will still come. 
The great thing about now as opposed to then is because Jesus had to be there in person. Jesus had to be coming through your town. <clears throat> Jesus had to be coming, walking down your street. Jesus had to be calling you on your cell phone. Jesus had to be there in person. But I'm thankful today that just as he was ascending into the heavenlies and everyone was concerned about what are we going to do without Jesus, he turned to them and he said, don't worry about that because I must go so that the Father can send another comforter who is just like me. And the Holy Spirit came 50 days later into this earth and we are baptized and sealed by the Spirit of promise. You have the Spirit of God living in you today. If you're a child of the King, you have been saved, washed, set free. You have been liberated. You have been healed by the power of God. And because of that, every day of your life, He is in your presence. Jesus wants to transform you through the regenerating power of His Holy Spirit. Listen, somebody hear me well today. Jesus doesn't want you to just simply do religious things. I'm glad you come to church. I'm glad that you've already made up your mind that Sunday is the day that I'm going to be in church. It doesn't matter what happens in my life. I'm determined to be in the house of the Lord. But if all you ever do is just come to this house and sit in your chair and come in late and go out early and you're never touched by the power of the relationship that you have uh, with a Savior, then you are never going to walk through this life victoriously. But when you recognize that when you leave this house and you live out your faith on Monday through Saturday and you recognize that the Spirit of Almighty God lives and dwells within you, it will change and transform your life. And you will stop walking as a defeated individual. And you'll start recognizing the power of victory that lives and dwells within you. Isaiah said this in chapter 53, verses 3 through 7. He, he said, talking about the Messiah who would come, he said, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, he carried our sorrow, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Hallelujah. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, his stripes, we are healed. We all like sheep. We've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth in defense. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Many years before Jesus ever did what he did, the anointing rested upon him. 
from the foundations of the earth. I asked the Biscuit Boys on Friday, which is a small group of guys that meet every Friday morning down at High Grove Grocery, down below Mount Washington, some of the best biscuits, sausage, gravy, pancakes, magic omelets. I could just keep on going. Say, well, why never I've been invited? You are invited. Come help us. We're trying to win everybody we can win to Jesus down there through our testimony and through our faith and by our faith. But listen, we were down there the other day and Hoyt had read a passage of Scripture. We had discussed it and I said, as in preparation for the, our message, I was thinking about Jesus and how that He had to hang on the cross for the remission of our sins how that he had to take stripes on his back so that we could be healed throughout eternity how that he had to do that my question to them was have you ever thought about why did Jesus really need to do that why did he really need to die on a cross to forgive sins he had been forgiving sins since the day he started walking the earth he would heal people of their disease. And sometimes the first thing he would say to them is, your sins are forgiven you. And it would make those religious people so mad and angry that they were spitting nails. Because he was forgiving people of their sins. And he hadn't even gone to Calvary yet. But he was forgiving them. And then he'd say something like this, well... Just so that you'll know that I have the power to forgive sins. By the way, get up and walk. You're healed. And he healed them after he cleansed them of their sins. And he had never hung at Calvary. And he had never taken a stripe upon his back yet. So why did he have to do it? The primary reason is, is because Jesus the Messiah already knew what the prophets had foretold so many years ago about how that this Messiah would come and he would forgive people of their sins. He would take stripes upon the, his back so that people could be healed. He would hang upon a cross so that our sins uh, could be gone from us. He would pay the price. So that we would not have to pay the price for our sin. And he did that. I want the choir to come back. I, I hadn't asked them to do this, but I'm going to ask them to do it. I want you to come back and sing that very last song that you sang. As I give you this last thought this morning. Your king is a convicting king. Say the word convicting. How many of you know that Jesus loves you? How many of you know, you know that Jesus loves you so much that he will not let you remain in your sin? How many of you know that Jesus loves you so much that he filled you with his spirit, spirit of God, to serve as not only a comforter, but as a convictor. Because while we may be see, saved, we also still sometimes fall short of His glory. 
And we have to repent. I know people that they think that now that they're saved, they don't ever have to say, I'm sorry again. It'd be like marrying my wife and saying, I love you. And in advance of all the mistakes that I will make over the years, I will say sorry one time, but I ain't never going to say it again. Once is enough. Ten years later, I'd do something wrong, and I'd just say, oh, by virtue of the fact that I apologized to you on our wedding night for all the mistakes that I'd make in the future, I'm never saying I'm sorry again. How many of you know that that would be a dumb way to live in our relationship? And yet there are people who think that because they're saved, because they asked Jesus to come into their life, they asked the Lord to forgive them one time that they don't ever have to ask again. But that's not true. When we fall short of the glory of God, we owe it to the King to recognize our sin and repent of it. So we must be always aware that He is a convicting King. He not only has compassion, but He doesn't have compassion in order to buy your favor. Jesus is out to develop you into the man or the woman that He has called you to be. He tells you what you need instead of what you want. He tells you that the wages of sin is death. He tells you that someday you're going to stand before God your maker and be accountable for all that you have done or not done in this life. Did you know that the Bible says, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is? Absolutely. We're going to stand before him one day and give account for what we have done and what we have not done. He warns us of judgment. He warns us of an eternal hell, which is total alienation and separation from himself. Let me just stop long enough to tell you that you've been lied to to some of these contemporary preachers who will tell you that there's no such thing as hell. There's no such place as hell. They're not telling you the truth because the Bible tells us that there is an eternal hell. He may not send you there, but you will qualify yourself to spend eternity in hell by rejecting who He is. And the Bible tells us that hell is getting larger every day. It is enlarging itself. And Jesus will warn you about hell. He tells it like it is. You go on Facebook or Instagram and every prophecy that you see there. And this is my pet peeve and I've told you about it several times. Every prophecy that you read on Instagram will be about the favor of God and how that you're blessed and how that you're always going to have this, this, and this. And there's never going to be a problem. There's never going to be a trouble. Everything's okay. Grace covers everything. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. Because you're going to be blessed by the hand of God. And listen, I believe in the blessings of God. But when you read this book and you pay attention to what 
his prophets say, they say, you better be careful because you're messing with the God who created this whole thing. And if you don't straighten yourself up, you're going to pay the price for your disobedience. He did things like this. He would predict domestic breakdown. He would say things like, your family from time to time is going to fall apart. He would say there will be economic catastrophe. How many of you know that that's still true today? He said there will be wars. There will be rumors of war. There will be earthquakes. There will be famines in the earth. There will be horrible desolation upon the face of the earth which you bring upon each other. In other words, he'll say, the reason you're going through what you're going through, it's your fault. It's because you're not being obedient to my word. And you're not obeying my spirit. And it opens the door for all of these things to come into your life. He'll tell you about positive faith, but he'll also tell you about what negative faith will do. <clears throat> he'll talk more about, less about picking yourself up sometimes then he'd say, you need to rest in my arms. He tells you that you cannot succeed without him in your life. He said, without me, you can do nothing. You say, I thought this was going to be a good positive message, Pastor. Oh, it is. It's, a, it's always a good positive thing when you can get the trash out of your life. When you can get the sin out of your life. When, when, when you can abandon the things that are preventing you from walking in His glorious blessing. And He'll warn you to face up to now and to come to Him while you can. Let me just say this to you and then I promise I'll quit. Some of you on television today, you're listening to me and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. There's only one person who can do that for you and it's you. If I could do it for you, I would, but I can't. There are people in this house today that maybe you flirted with a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you've really never taken that step of faith and said, Jesus, come and forgive me of my sin. You're never going to be able to stand before God and say, nobody told me. Because I'm telling you right now, if you reject the Messiah that rode into that community on that day and was announced as the coming king, if you reject him, you will die in your sin and you will spend eternity in hell. And there's not a thing that any of us can do. But you know what the good news is, don't you? He will in no wise cast you out if you will come to him. And if you will ask him to forgive you and come into your heart and come into your life, your king is coming. Aren't you glad he's coming? I'm glad. When Jesus hung on the cross at Calvary, the Bible tells us that there was a thief on the right and a thief on the left. 
And one of them ridiculed him and refused to accept the truth about who Jesus was. But the other one said, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you are the King of Kings. I believe you are Jesus. I believe you are dying for me. And Jesus looked over at him and he said, Today, you will be with me in paradise. It's really that simple. Just believe in him. And when that happened, and then all of the other things happened, the sky grew dark. And then the curtain, the veil in the temple was rent from the from the top to the bottom. When all that happened, the scripture says that one of the guards made this statement. He said, surely this was the Son of God. But he was only halfway right. He was the Son of God. But what he forgot to recognize and realize is that he is not the was. He is the is. He wasn't just the Son of God then. He is the Son of God now. He wasn't just the King then. He is the King now. He has all authority in His hand. And one of these days He's coming again. I've already said it. I want you to be ready. Stand with me if you will. Bow your heads all over the house if you will with me this morning. And let me just ask this question very quickly. Is there anybody here today that you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? You have never taken the time to invite Him into your life to ask Him to forgive you of your sins. If you're here and that's you today, will you just lift your hand right where you are and let me see who you are so I can pray for you and pray with you? Is there anybody here today that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ? Then I want to invite every one of you to pray with me for those who are watching by television today. We have people literally from all over the world that watch our live streams on Sunday morning from nations around the world. I get emails from them on a regular basis. And I believe with all my heart that there's somebody out there today that you're listening, you've been listening. You've been contemplating how you're going to respond to this message today. And I want to invite you wherever you are. You may be in a hotel room somewhere. You may be at work today. You may be somewhere out in the country by yourself. I don't know where you are, but I know that wherever you are, Jesus is available to you right there in your circumstance. And our church is going to pray with you today. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you right now and we ask you to find that individual that's seeking you today. The power of your conviction is upon them right now, wherever they are. They've been knowing for a long time now that they need to make a decision for you. I pray, Lord God, that 
you to go to where they are and you will make them feel welcome into the kingdom of God as they repent of their sin come to you as Lord and Savior and we rejoice now just like heaven rejoices every time someone comes to you heaven rejoices the angels of God rejoice when one lost lamb is found thank you Lord in Jesus name now look up here look at your neighbor and say the king is coming he didn't just come he's coming again and now look at them and say this are you sure if today's the day he comes are you ready to meet him are you ready to go I want the prayer team to come if you will and distribute yourself in the altar and if you're here today and you have a need of any kind in your life listen I know that there are people in our church that maybe you have some mobility issues and it's hard for you to stand for a long time if if you want to just come and sit on these front rows and when you get an opportunity they will come and pray with you today but if you have a need of any kind how many of you know that this Lord this Savior this King this compassionate King loves you and will minister to you and meet your needs. And as our choir begins to sing this song, don't rush out this morning. Listen, I stopped 10 minutes early today so that you wouldn't have to rush out and get your fried chicken. I promise you, I've said it a hundred times, it's true, I think I can prove it. When the Baptists leave, they'll fry more chicken. It'll be all right. When we Pentecostals arrive, there will be something for you to eat. Why don't we just take a few moments, stand in the presence of God, and be grateful to Jesus for all that He did this week for you and for me. Will you sing it?